Our text for today comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm reading verses 1 through 14. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain have the workers from their toil? I have seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. And moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and to enjoy themselves as long as they live. And moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in their toil. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. And God has done this so that all should stand in awe before him. A word from the Lord. Thanks be to God. A poem for parents of young children. Time for everything. A time to attempt sleep. And a time to give up attempting sleep. A time to scrub that large toothpaste stain that has been painted onto the carpet and the furniture and the walls. And a time to give up scrubbing said toothpaste stain. A time to build up the dirty laundry mountain. And a time to build up the clean laundry mountain. A time to put away the toys, and a time to watch all the toys get pulled out at once. A time to wash the floor, and a time to serve a very juicy watermelon the same night you wash the floor. A time to talk to your spouse over a chorus of yelling children, and a time to talk with your spouse as you both fall asleep. A time to argue about getting dressed for the day. And then a time to argue about getting undressed for bath time. A time to be behind at work and ahead at home. And a time to be behind at home and ahead at work. 
a time to get out of the house 15 minutes later than you wanted, and a time to get out of the house an hour and 15 minutes later than you wanted. David and I became parents four and a half years ago. And I can't remember which friend used the word crisis to describe the experience of bringing home a child. But boy, do I remember that word. Becoming a parent, whether through birth or adoption, under wonderful circumstances or tragic circumstances, is a crisis because it changes every part of your life and your relationships. In a former life, when I could stay up past midnight, I used to take children or youth to church camp every summer. And from early in the morning until well after midnight, we were busy. The days were full and demanding. And each night before I went to bed at camp, I would lay there and I would think about how we were going to get up and do it all again the next day. There are some days that being a parent feels like a permanent trip to church camp. From early in the morning until late at night, the days are full and demanding. Off to bed to wake up and do it all again. There's this idea in philosophy and theology called eternal recurrence. And my artist, Catherine, and I talked yesterday, and she helped me with some drawings for our service today. So this is a circle that Catherine drew to help us understand this idea of eternal recurrence. It's this idea that time is cyclical, that everything exists is in an endless recurring cycle. The events of the past will be repeated over and over again. And Ecclesiastes actually hints at this idea several times. In verse 15 of the chapter that we read today, whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. Life's routine can come to feel like eternal recurrence. Dishes washed only to wash them the next day. Progress in a meaningful relationship. And then ending up back in the same dysfunctional place. An addict, once free, relapsing. Overcoming one health challenge just to encounter another one. Finishing one big project for school, and then going to school the next day and getting your assignment for the next big project. Going to bed and waking up to do it all again. What is the point of it all? The writer of today's text asks that question. Ecclesiastes comes from the wisdom tradition. And one of the primary concerns of wisdom literature is time. Chapter 3 in Ecclesiastes explores the mystery of time and our inability to master it. The writer has some beef with this issue. 
And he also has a little bit of beef with his tradition's understanding of this issue. The first problem he sees is that, try as we may, humans cannot understand time. And we can't understand the timing of occurrences in the world. We either have no control over them, like the timing of birth or death, or we're bound by some mysterious force to repeat certain activities and behaviors. So, for example, even though engaging in war is an action that's under human control and it's a highly destructive way to, to solve disputes, humanity throughout time seems to repeat this pattern of engaging in war without really breaking the cycle. The writer says that since we can't understand the natural order of the world or the passions that tend to drive us, we can't master time. And so he kind of pushes back against the Jewish tradition by saying that what we do in the context of time is not really all that meaningful. What gain have the workers from their toil? What's the point? The second problem he has is that humans can't understand God's activity in the context of time. God has predetermined what will happen, and there's really nothing anybody can do about it. God gave humans this desire to understand why, how, and when God acts. Sometimes we see the translation that says, God has put eternity in our hearts. But we can't understand it. And the writer goes so far as to say that God kind of did this on purpose. So that humans were unable to understand the mystery of God's activity. The translation that we read today says that God did this so that we would stand in awe of him. But the Hebrew word used is the word fear. And not fear as in reverence and respect as we see in many places in the Bible. But fear as in terror or fright. Ecclesiastes uses a different word on purpose. And this word is used several times throughout Ecclesiastes. as a way for kind of understanding the mystery of God's action. So is anybody feeling like the birds with their song? Turn, turn, turn to every... They made this sound like a lot cuter and more lighthearted, I think. There's always this part of me that wants to know why. Why would the writer of Ecclesiastes, why would his community have found these words and ideas to be meaningful? What kind of circumstances would bring up these questions? Well, there's a lot of debate about the authorship and date of Ecclesiastes. And throughout our tradition, the book has often been attributed to Solomon who lived about a thousand years before Christ was born. But over time, the academic consensus has kind of shifted. And it's more likely that these words came from an unknown Jewish sage who lived about 300 years before Christ was born. So if this was the case, then in these words we can start to hear Greek philosophy and culture starting to come into dialogue with Jewish tradition 
in a way that isn't seen anywhere else in the Old Testament. So, for example, one of the core worldviews of the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition is a linear understanding of time. And there's our line. Beautiful little line. A linear understanding of time with a beginning and an end. And God's habit for disrupting the cycles of human history. In the beginning, God created. In the end, the kingdom of God. So in these words, in Ecclesiastes, the promise we can hear that this promised future in Jewish tradition is under great cultural pressure. There's crisis in the wisdom tradition, theological crisis, and cultural crisis. As the the empire forces around the Jewish people are continuing to put pressure on this tradition. So in the background of today's text, we can kind of feel the sense of crisis. And after hundreds of years of their people living in subjugation to other peoples, the writer of Ecclesiastes and his community, who are far away from this promised future, are looking around and saying, but no, really, why, when? Ecclesiastes doesn't paint the most rosy and relational picture of God and life's meaning. But I think that we would be doing really well to live into just a couple of things that the writer talks about in today's text. Like the reality of being a finite human being and how that comes with needs and limitations, and seasons. For a long time now, I have been praying about time and talking with God about this poverty of time that I feel in my life. It's a question that I've kind of been holding with God. And the truth is, you may already know this, That there is not time for everything. It cannot all be done. And you know who the person in my life that has the hardest time accepting this is? Me. Being a human comes with needs that I don't always take time to meet, like rest, Sabbath, times of silence and solitude, And self-care. And I found that sometimes taking the time to do the things that God is inviting us to do means letting go of thoughts and tasks and expectations that are really difficult to let go of. Another theme in Ecclesiastes that I find really meaningful for us is this idea that time belongs to God, not to us. 
God has invited me to talk with him a little bit more about the ways that I use my time. And not just time in terms of the way that I act and what I do, but time in terms of thought. The time I spend thinking about certain things or feeling about certain things. The owner of time in our cultural environment is not God. The owner of time in our culture is the market that pushes for production and growth and achievement and best and biggest and one crisis or demand after the other. The eternal recurrence. It's easy for people like me to get so caught up in striving for the finish line that I neglect this most precious gift of time given to me by God, given to us by God. Time is the means through which God has chosen to weave this rich tapestry of life. And the fact that we can't understand where everything fits reveals that we are needy creatures of God. And thank goodness, we belong to God. On a youth trip several years ago, in a beautiful all-pine cabin out in the middle of Tennessee, our worship leader, Deanna, talked with the youth who were there about their journey with God. And she showed the students an image like the one up here on the screen. A squiggle line. She talked about how our journey with God is not really a straight and clear trajectory upward. There are high seasons and there are low seasons and there are low seasons in the low seasons. There's wisdom in this image for us. It reminds us that even if in our tradition, time is linear, in our experience, it's not always linear. There's an ebb and flow. And sometimes there are seasons that are out of our control. But this image also reminds us of the gospel in that there is purpose and direction. It reminds us of the gospel, which is that God, through the power and grace of love, can and does break vicious cycles. Rebirthing and recreating us, bringing about his dream for the world. You know what's unique about Ecclesiastes? One thing I really enjoy about it is that, as the wisdom tradition tends to do, it, it elevates mystery rather than prescribing answers to life's hardest questions. And I think that's really good for us. Ecclesiastes kind of challenges its tradition. And it challenges two key parts in particular. 
One is this idea of just retribution. And the other is the idea of divine favor. So the writer saw that the wicked prospered unpunished, while the innocent perished without divine intervention. And he also saw that obedience to the law did not result in blessedness, as blessedness was traditionally understood. So loving God and doing what God asked you to do did not mean that life would be without difficulty. Or that God's promises would come true any faster or slower. There's a saying that will stay with me forever. And it's one I think that the writer of Ecclesiastes would appreciate. It came to me as I watched this film that was produced after 9-11. And it interviewed different people and explored how the events of 9-11 had impacted their understanding of God. One of the people interviewed in the video is a rabbi who lives in New York City. And so his community had been, of course, deeply affected by the events of 9-11. In the video, he said, My job is not so much to answer people's questions. My job is to help people learn how to live with the questions. Learning how to live with questions is sacred. God does not expect us to have all the answers. Because we are not God. So today, I wonder, is there space in your life and in your soul to hear the questions that you carry? Today, we heard questions about time, about meaning and purpose. What questions do you have for God? Is there space in your life and your soul to hear questions that God might be asking you? What questions do the two of you need to carry together for a while?